Well, turn to your Bibles, if you will, to our master text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to wrap up the series that we have been doing for the last couple of months now, uh, called In the Likeness of His Resurrection, and we've been talking about holiness for these last two months. And I want to say, as we get started here, before we read this master text, how proud I am of you, uh, for those of you that have stuck around for this entire series, because I know some of it has been tough sledding. But I firmly believe that there's a reward laid up for those of you that uh, have not allowed anything to sidetrack you. Uh, but you're here week in and week out, and uh, you're availing yourself to the teaching of God's Word, even when it's uncomfortable. And some of this series, I realize, has been a little uncomfortable. On that note, you know, folks, um, compromisers and the lukewarm don't stick around very long for the kind of teaching we've been serving up for the last couple of months, right? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I saw a meme on Facebook on that note that I want to show you. Look at the screen. It says, when you try to feed babes in Christ mature biblical truths. <laughs> Picture that little baby there in front of that steak crying. Yeah, you can't feed babies steak. Right, And uh, sometimes when you try to, you, you, you might even shove it in their mouth. They're going to spit it back up on you. And uh, boy, I as a pastor have experienced that. You try to feed babes in Christ the meat of the word, and you get spit up on sometimes. So, <laughs> hallelujah. Well, <clears throat> today, though, won't be nearly as uh, heavy in terms of the conviction of sin, but will be more of a focus on what God says about you. And I'll tell you up front that this is all going to be good news. It's all good news. So, uh, when you find 2 Corinthians chapter 3, stand up with me if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's holy, majestic word. Verses 17 and 18, a short one today, it says this. I'm reading out of the NIV. You read out of whatever version you have. It says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. All right, well, I'm going to break that down for you. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to read this out of a, of a different translation. This is the uh, Berean Study Bible, and I think there's a, the, the wording here uh, just expounds upon this truth even a little bit more. It says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So notice that that master text says that we're reflecting the glory of God, or like this version says, beholding the glory of God as in a mirror. And as a matter of fact, I like this next line after that. We are being transformed into that same image. What image? The glory of God. We're beholding the glory of God as in a mirror, and we are being transformed into that same image. Well, folks, I realize that most Christians just don't think that way. When we look in the mirror, we don't naturally tend to see the glory of God, do we? 
<laughs> what we see, what we see are our imperfections. We see our wrinkles, our bulges, and our, our uh, less than perfect features. Or we see a person staring back at us in the mirror who is disappointing in so many ways. And good company there. Yeah. So, so we don't naturally tend to see the glory of God um, staring back at us as we gaze into the mirror. But a lot of that, now listen to what I'm about to say, a lot of that has to do with the image that we perceive on the inside of us, not the image that we're seeing in the mirror. All right? See, what we perceive in the mirror is simply a reflection of what we already perceive on the inside of us. On that note, uh, I think that you'll, you'll track with me on this, the, the condition anorexia. When a person with anorexia looks in the mirror, they may weigh 90 pounds, but they see fat. They see, I'm overweight, I'm unattractive, I need to lose more weight, but they weigh, may weigh 90 pounds. That's a mental disorder where you see something that's not really there. As a matter of fact, um, when I was in my early 20s, I ran around with a guy who was, uh, he and I worked out together, and he was really, really in shape. And he it went on, actually, to become uh, a professional bodybuilder, and he was actually on the cover of Flex Magazine and Muscle and Fitness and those. And he and I have a mutual friend, <clears throat> and that mutual friend told me that this other bodybuilding friend of ours uh, said that when he was on the cover of Flex Magazine, he bemoaned the fact that he looked so small in that picture. And me and my friend were like, what? You've got to be kidding. He's, he's massive. I mean, his, his biceps are the size of my thighs, for Pete's sake. I mean, look at, <laughs> look at him. But yet, his, his perception of himself was that I'm small. So we had to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and use steroids to do it. So I've, I've thought about that ever since then, that there's a, like a reverse condition uh, compared to anorexia. An anorexic people, when they look in the mirror, they see fat, even the way they, they may weigh 90 pounds. The other end of the spectrum is that these big, massive, hulking guys look in the mirror and they see smallness. So because I knew that, friend, I knew that that's, that's got to be a disorder of some sort. That's a disorder. So recently, I was... Uh, uh, flipping the, the channels and, and found a, uh, there was a, the show, I don't remember the name of it, but it was something like, the title of it, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but the title of it was something like Muscle Rexia, something like that. And I went, oh, that's that disorder my friend has. And so I started watching it. I had to flip it off in like the first 10 minutes because it was so obscene and, and the terrible language and, and, well, I'll just give you one for instance in this documentary. There was this one guy on there. He got so incredibly massive. He was huge, but then all of a sudden he wanted to dress like a female. And so, I mean, they talk about the, the confusion of some people. Um, I mean, he's just this massive, hulking guy that's now dressing like a female. Anyway, side note. <laughs> Lest, lest I digress. The point is that what people perceive in the mirror is a reflection of what they're seeing on the inside that may have no, absolutely no shred of truth whatsoever. 
Are, are, you, are you tracking with me? So what we see in the mirror is so often not the glory of God, as this passage says. What we see in the mirror is simply a reflection of what we perceive on the inside of us. Does that make sense? All right. So on that note, then, our key concept for this morning is this. You cannot consistently function contrary to the image that you have of yourself. I'm going to say that again. Write that down. You cannot consistently function contrary to the image that you have of yourself. And that reflects Proverbs 23, 7. The King James Version says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, for example, if you see yourself as sickly, you're probably going to live in that condition or that reality. If you see yourself as poor, you're probably never going to get to the point where you're prosperous. If you see yourself as hopelessly sinful, you're probably never going to walk in victory. And see, that's the focus of this series that we've been on, walking in victory over sin, living holy, getting to the place where sin doesn't dominate you anymore, but you dominate the sin nature. That's the whole focus of this series. So if you see yourself as hopelessly sinful, you're probably not, never going to walk in victory because that's the image that you have inside of yourself. Does that make sense? Now, by the way, there's a balance to that thought because on the other hand, we agree with Jeremiah 17.9, which says that the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. And the NIV version of that passage says that the human heart is beyond cure. And without Christ, ladies and gentlemen, that is absolutely true. The human heart is beyond cure. See, without Christ, get this, without Christ, without Christ, we are sick and twisted beings, hell-bent on self-gratification, even to our own ultimate harm. Drew and I, my son, were in uh, Walmart yesterday, and I, we walked past this gal with a black t-shirt on that, that said, uh, whiskey bent and hell bound. Whiskey bent and hell bound. I'm like, oh my gosh, how can you wear that? But see, that's the perception that she has of herself. See, we're sick and twisted beings, hell bent on, on self-gratification, even to our own ultimate harm. That's the condition that we're in apart from Christ. But Jesus came to rescue us from that dreadful condition, and now we've been made right through the blood of Jesus, and our, listen, our new condition in Christ is no longer desperately wicked. Did I lose some of you on that one? Our, our new identity in Christ is no longer desperately wicked. See, our new identity is the righteousness of Jesus. And unless we can come to see ourselves in that light, we're going to have a very difficult time living out the reality of someone who has been made new in Christ. I feel like I need to say that again. Unless you can begin to see yourself as the righteousness of God, like the Bible says, I'm going to show you that in a minute, you're going to have a very difficult time living out the reality of a person who's been made new in Christ, right? See, listen, your imagination is a very powerful force. 
Your imagination is a very powerful force. The way we think about ourselves defines our destinies. Now listen to me. The way your life is going right now, to some degree, and maybe even a very large degree, the way your life is going right now is at least in part a result of how you see yourself, the image that you have of yourself. Because again, we cannot consistently function contrary to the image that we have of ourselves. We cannot consistently function contrary to the image that we have of ourselves. And see, most people have not allowed the word of God to paint that image of themselves, but rather have allowed their experiences and their failures and even other people to paint that picture. See, if we could only see the image that God sees of us through Jesus, it would change everything. See, God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, we need to take God's word and use it like a paintbrush, right? And change that inner image to agree with what the word of God says about us. Do you agree with that? All right, so listen. Here's one example of the importance of how you see yourself. And, and that's whether or not you see yourself as a sinner or a saint. Now, let me begin dismantling a religious idea in this teaching by telling you some things that you may not hear in a lot of other churches. So don't cling too tightly to your sacred cow right now because I'm about to kick it over. Okay. All right, let me begin with this passage right here, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, talking about the devil here, uh, the evil spirits, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Okay, I want to read that again. As for you, that's talking about Christians, those of us who are in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Now, notice the primary point of this verse. First, the label of sinner is what we used to be, past tense. Okay? But now... We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me give you a couple more examples of that point right there. Uh, This is Ephesians 5.8. For you were, again, emphasis on the word were, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Okay, so now, listen, we have an obligation now that we're in Christ to live as children of light, okay? So that's kind of the whole point of the series, right? To live as children of light. But the, the, the first part of that is really what I want to get across to you because I want to change your mindset. For you were once darkness, past tense, but now, presently, you are light in the Lord. So therefore, since you are light in the Lord, live as children of light. Another example. You hear me quote this all the time. Okay, you ought to have this memorized by now as much as I quote this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what's that mean? That, that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us? What's that mean? It means when he hung on the cross, he took all the curses of sin and death on himself. He became the curse as he hung on the tree. He became sin as he hung on the tree so that you and I could be set free from the curses of sin. That's what that means. So that in him, the result of that is that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God. So listen, we're not going to become God's righteousness someday in the sweet by and by. We are his righteousness right now, present tense. Praise God. It goes back to our master text. We're beholding the glory of God as in a mirror. See, when you look in the mirror, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at a miracle. You're looking at a miracle. I like how Andrew Womack puts it. He said, he said you are wall-to-wall Holy Spirit. When you look in the mirror, you are looking at a miracle. So listen, so listen, if you're still struggling with sin, it's not a God problem. If you're still struggling with sin, it's not a God problem. It's not that he's withholding his righteousness from you and you need to beg him for more of his strength. Folks, listen, he's already done the work. He did the work already. See, just before Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And then the Bible tells us that he ascended to heaven, and then he did what? Does anybody remember? Who said sat down? What, very good, Juanita. Juanita knows her Bible. As for the rest of you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he ascended to heaven, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why is that significant? Because, in other words, the work is done. It's been accomplished. It's been accomplished. Okay, so what does that mean then if you and I continue to have a sin problem? Like you're living in habitual sin, can't seem to get past certain things. Well, part of the issue, ladies and gentlemen, is that you have an image problem. You have an image problem. You see yourself as a sinner rather than a saint. And some people even call themselves sinners saved by grace. Have you ever heard that? All right, now this is the sacred cow I'm kicking over right now because that's a that saying has has permeated the church. I'm and, and it's, that seems to be like the default position when people blow it badly. Well, you know, brother, we're just all old sinners saved by grace, right? See, they see themselves as defeated rather than more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Now, folks, listen to me. You may not have realized this, but there is not a single scripture in the New Testament that refers to God's people as sinners. Not one. Not one. The closest you can come is that the Apostle Paul once said that he was the chief of all sinners. But he wasn't talking about his present situation. He was talking about, if you read it in context, which, by the way, you really need to read the Bible in context, right? And not lift scriptures out of the Bible, right? And then build theologies around them. You can't do that. Read it in context, okay? So read in context, Paul was talking about his past life very clearly. 
And then Paul went on to write to the Romans that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And he wrote to the Corinthians that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So you see, you, you can change the inner image that you have of yourself to agree with God's word, to agree with the Bible. And when you do that, you'll find that your behavior more often will follow suit. Did you, did you hear what I said? You can change the inner image that you have of yourself to agree with the Bible. And when you get that image, you'll find your behavior more often than not beginning to follow suit. Uh, let me give you an example of the identity crisis that most modern Western Christians have. I'm going to read to you a Lutheran catechism, and then I'm going to give you kind of the, uh, the other side of this. So this Lutheran catechism, I'm not picking on the Lutherans here, but this is just a, a perfect example of uh, the sacred cow that I'm trying to kick over. Uh, God bless the Lutherans. A lot of great things have come out of the Lutheran denomination. Uh, but this, and, and this is not specific. This, what this says in this catechism is not specific to Lutherans. Most people believe this way. Okay, so let's read this. It says this, I, poor sinful man, confess to God, the Almighty, my Creator and Redeemer, that I not only have sinned in thoughts, words, and deeds, but also was conceived and born in sin, and so all my nature and being is deserving of punishment and condemnation before His righteousness. Therefore, I flee to His gratuitous mercy and seek and beseech His grace. Lord, be merciful to me, miserable sinner. There's a lot in there that's absolutely right, by the way. There's a lot in there that's absolutely right. There's a couple lines that are absolutely wrong, based upon what the Bible says about us now. So I want to read to you a line out of Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over the Darkness. He says this, Many Christians refer to themselves as sinners saved by grace, but are you really a sinner? Is that your scriptural identity? Not at all. God doesn't call you a sinner. That is, if you're in Christ anyway. Okay, so I want to qualify that. Uh, God doesn't call you a sinner, he writes. He calls you a saint, a holy one. Why not identify yourself for who you really are, a saint who occasionally sins? Now listen to me. The truth is the Lutheran Catechism is an accurate assessment of who we were, but not who we are now. See, it's understandable why a lot of Christians would have this identity crisis, because we do sometimes still sin. But to regard yourself as a miserable sinner continually is to totally subvert what the Bible says about who you are right now. Is this okay? Are you tracking with me? Okay, I'm not making any of you mad, am I? I know I'm kicking over these sacred cows, I know that. All right. See, folks, listen, why not use the paintbrush of the Bible to paint your new identity? Okay. Dip your paintbrush in the blood of Jesus and paint the portrait of yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and as more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And, and folks, listen to me. This takes faith to believe that and to live that way. 
Because if you just go by your behavior when you blow it badly, you, you're, you would think to yourself, I mean, outward evidence right now, since I just like lost my temper and like verbally vomited on this person or whatever, you, you know, so, so outward evidence would seem to, seem to lead you to believe that, wow, I, I am a miserable sinner. That's what Satan would like for you to believe anyway. In fact, if you let that thought process go to its logical end, Satan will talk you into the fact that you're not even saved anymore. <clears throat> right? Look what you just did. Who do you think you are? You're not even saved. You might just, well, let's chuck this whole thing. Don't even go back to church. Just go out and live while, because you're, you're headed to hell anyway. So you might as well just enjoy yourself while, you know, this life goes on. Because, you know, you're not even saved. God doesn't even want you. Right? All that's a lie. That's lie, 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 lie. That's all the devil does. That's, he's the father of lies. That's his native language, Jesus said. It's his native language. Uh, so it, it, does take a, it, it does take faith to believe this, folks. That's, what, that's my point. See, we as Christians, uh, we're to live a life of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says we can't even please God without faith. So this is where... This is one of those areas where faith really has to apply and be exercised to believe that on the same day that you blow it badly, that I'm still, I don't care what circumstances look like, I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm still a holy one. That's what the Bible says about me. And listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a step further with this. For you to say anything about yourself that's contrary to what the Bible says is the epitome of arrogance. Even when you think it's humble by saying, well, I'm just an old worm of a Christian. I'm just an old sinner. Thank God I'm saved by grace, but I'm just an old sinner. I'm a worm of a Christian. It's not what the Bible says about you. And for you to disagree with what the Bible says about you without what Almighty God says about you is the epitome of religious arrogance. I lost some of you on that one, didn't I? Okay, come on, I'm just teach, teaching the word. This is why it's, it's, it's a life of faith, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. It's a life of faith. Yes. I was praying the other day. I was just in the word of God and praying, and this thought hit me, and this may seem like, like a duh kind of moment to you all, but it just, I don't know, it just the way that it hit me, this thought, and the thought hit me, I'm a, I'm a servant of the Most High God. And as a servant, <laughs> yeah, yeah, duh. <clears throat> but here's the, here's the outcome that I had of that thought. As a servant of God, my behavior needs to follow suit. See, servants act certain ways, don't they? Servants act certain ways. There are certain things that servants don't do. There's other things that servants do do because they're servants. So that, that thought just hit me that, like, man, I, I don't have the right to do certain things or not to do certain things that I've been told to do because I'm a servant. Servants behave certain ways. Praise God, you're a servant too. All right, let's push on here. Let me give you another perspective here regarding this self-image issue that, that I want to get across to you this morning. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace 
um, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Well, that Hebrew word translated into mind is the exact same word translated into imaginations in other parts of the Old Testament. So you could say it this way, when our imagination is stayed on the Lord, he will keep you in perfect peace. So let me elaborate on that point for a moment. So your self-image is like the rudder of a ship. The way you see yourself is like the rudder of your ship directing your life this way or that. So your imagination then is where conception takes place. Your imagination is where the conception of yourself and other things take place. See, it's so much more difficult, for example, to live victoriously if you see yourself as a spiritual weakling. Folks, I want to reemphasize a point. I'm going to back up and reemphasize a point on, on the statement that I just made. It's not pious to see yourself as a spiritual weakling or a spiritual failure. That's not pious. That's not, that's, there's, nothing, there's nothing holy or righteous about that. What's holy and righteous is agreeing with what God's word says, even when evidence would seem to indicate otherwise, because that's a life of faith, and faith pleases God. Well, let me just give you a natural example. You know, if one of my little granddaughters, they're six and four, came to me and, and said, Poppy, can we have a cookie? And, and then, then they followed it up with, I know that we're not deserving of a cookie because we know we have, have misbehaved today. And so, so I, I, I know that we're not worthy of a cookie. And then they put their face in the carpet and said, Poppy, if you would be so kind. Could we have a cookie, even though we're so undeserving? You know what I would say? I'd say, get up off that floor. Of course you can have a cookie. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't humble ourselves before God. That's not my point. My point is, we shouldn't be re referring to ourselves as, as these worms of a, of, of a Christian that's not deserving. I mean, yeah, we're not deserving. Okay, look, look I want to qualify. We're not deserving of anything. You, know, you can't expect to get God's attention based upon what you deserve, because you don't deserve anything. It's by his grace. But because we're children now, and he said, my grace has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, our obligation is now to say, okay, I'll take it. Right? Praise God. So once again, it's so much more difficult then to live victorious over sin if you see yourself as a spiritual weakling. It's so much more difficult to get healed if you see yourself as sickly. It's so much more difficult to be blessed financially if you see yourself living in lack. And see, look, if, if we want to be more fruitful, ladies and gentlemen, we need to stop regarding ourselves as failures. If we want to be more fruitful, we need to stop regarding ourselves as failures. We need to start using our imaginations more productively than that. See, if you can't see it on the inside, you're never going to see it on the outside. You see, did you hear what I said? If you can't see it, perceive it, imagine it on the inside, you're never going to see it on the outside. Let me give you another key point here. See, what you conceive, you will eventually give birth to. When you see it on the inside, whatever it is, good or bad, you're going to eventually give birth to that thing. See, when a woman conceives a child, she's not going to give birth to a radish. Right? Right? You give birth to the things that you conceive. It's true in biology, it's true in psychology, and it's true in the spirit realm.
Look at this verse right here from Genesis 6, 5. It says this, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, now listen. Is this verse in Genesis only talking about the big, obvious sins? No, clearly it's talking about people's thoughts, their imaginations, and their motives. See, it's referring to the constantly negative, fearful, selfish, perverse ways that people think. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You see, most people see negative things, things that are contrary to God's word. See, most of us let our imaginations run wild and unchecked, and we don't see anything wrong with that. But if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find at least a half a dozen different occasions where God brought judgment upon people for their imaginations. Mm. That takes it up a notch, doesn't it? But folks, listen, I'm going to give you some good news. We are not at the mercy of our thoughts. We're not at the mercy of our thoughts. The truth is we can learn to control what we dwell upon and thus influence the direction that our lives go. My youngest son, Drew, who you saw up here wailing on on the drums this morning. Good job, Drew. He is also a a, a really good basketball player. So it made me think, you know, watching him develop as a basketball player, it made me think of a study that I read several years ago on free throw shooting. And what they did is they took three groups of, of basketball players, they broke them up into three groups, and one group practiced their free throws every day. The second group didn't practice at all. They did nothing for like a period of, I don't know how, I think it was a month, if memory serves. The third group didn't practice physically, but they practiced in their mind. They visualized going through the motions of shooting free throws every day. They did that for a a certain period of time every day. Then they brought the three groups back together and they tested them on their free throw shooting. And amazingly, the... um, Well, let me begin with the the group that didn't practice. They did the worst. That didn't practice and didn't visualize, they did the worst. The group that did physically practice, they did the best. But right behind the, the group that practiced physically was the group that didn't practice but did practice visually. They practiced in their minds. So they did repetitively, went through the motions in their minds. As a matter of fact, in watching Drew practice, there are times that he'll practice his free throws. He'll shoot a few free throws, and then he'll close his eyes. He'll look up at the rim, and he'll close his eyes, and he'll lower his head, and then shoot. Because what, what's he doing? He's visualizing. And in a remarkable number of those shots that he does with his eyes closed, he'll make it. Um, I mean, he misses a, a lot of them, too, but he's, I mean, it's close. It's, I mean, it's really close. And then he'll make a few of them. I was practicing with him the other day, and he's practicing. I'm rebounding for him, and, and uh, you know, I'm throwing the ball back to him. And then, then he stops. He closes his eyes, and he lowers his head, and he shoots. Swish. I went, how do you do that? Well, it's repetitive motion, and it's visualization. Okay? So your, your imagination is a very, very powerful force. So, see, what you perceive on the inside is going to become your reality on the outside eventually. So, once again, I want to reemphasize this, this point. That we can control what our minds dwell upon. And thus, we can influence the direction that our lives go. Okay, 
Let's bring this down to brass tacks, as the saying goes here for a moment. Let's make this applicable. Let me talk to you married people for a second. It's a vain imagination to wonder and dwell upon whether or not you married the wrong person. Why is that a vain imagination? Well, because most of the time when people are, are unhappy in their marriages, it's not because the wife is cheating or the husband is violent. I mean, I know those things do happen from time to time. I do realize that. But most of the time when people are unhappy in their marriage, it's simply because they let their minds be controlled by their emotions and their circumstances. Come on now, somebody. Help me. Yeah? All right. When people get unhappy in their marriages, it's because they're dwelling upon their circumstances and they let their, their emotions control them. You know, Hollywood has painted an image of marriage, or an image of love, rather, like it's supposed to be goosebumps and butterflies all the time, right? So if, if people aren't giddy in their marriages all the time, well, they start to imagine and wonder if they married the wrong person. Or, and or, they focus on one or two things that their spouse does that annoys them or displeases them, and they focus on that so much that that becomes just a gigantic thing in their marriages, and they make that their constant focus, and, and instead of being thankful for all the things that their spouse does that's good and right. You know, how many of us are like that? I mean, you know, your whole body may be feeling great, but you get a hangnail, and what, what happens? You focus on that hangnail. You forget all the other parts of your body that are feeling awesome. But you focus on that little hangnail. And that's what people do in their marriages. Their spouse may be awesome in so many ways, but they have these one or two little quirks or one or two little things that their spouse does that displeases them, and they focus on that so much that it totally wrecks their marriages. And I've seen that over and over again. And then, of course, you've heard me talk about it before, then they jump out of one marriage and they get into the, another marriage where that next spouse doesn't have those particular problems. They just have a whole new set of new problems. All right? Yeah? Okay. So it, it's very good if we can learn to get past the issues that we have now and just learn to deal with those and learn to be thankful for what your spouse does bring to the table. Praise God. So anyway, so these spouses that are focusing on, you know, these few issues that displease them, they've chosen to be unhappy. They've chosen to be unhappy because that's their whole focus. Because that's what their imagination is focused on. Alright? So your self-image and your imagination and your imagination develops your self-image is like the rudder, rudder of a ship and that will dictate the direction of your life. And that's why we're talking about this because if you want to live victoriously over sin, you've got to see yourself differently. You can't see yourself as some worm of a Christian under the devil's boot all the time. You've got to see yourself as more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise God. All right, so on that note, I'm going to leave you with this thought right here. Who you really are changing the inner image. And I like that, that picture there of that pawn in front of the mirror seeing a king. I, I like that image, don't you? So, and then the caption there says, mirrors lie, they don't show you what's inside. Mirrors lie, they don't show you what's inside. That is so true. That is so true. See, uh, once again, what you are seeing as a reflection in the mirror 
What you're perceiving, let me say it that way, what you're perceiving when you look in the mirror is simply a reflection of what you're already perceiving on the inside. Okay? And, And once again, you can't live beyond what you believe. And you can't believe beyond what you put into your mind. So as we close here, let me give you some different input that's going to help you going forward as we close out this teaching today and we close out this two-month series that we've been on. So I'm just going to bullet point very quickly several things that the Bible says about you. And I could do, honestly, probably an entire teaching or even a series on each one of these bullet points. But I'm just going to bullet point them for you. These references are in your notes, so go back and study them out for yourselves. Let's just read them down the list real quick. This is who you are now in Christ. Ephesians 1.4. You are holy and blameless. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and Ephesians chapter 6, you are a warrior involved in a spiritual conflict. Did you know that? You know that we're living in this world, we're in a spiritual conflict. I don't know if you realize that or not. If you don't realize that we as Christians are in a spiritual conflict, you're not paying attention. Amen. And I was in a conversation this morning where I said that, you know, the Bible tells us to occupy until he comes, but a lot of Christians uh, have interpreted that to mean uh, occupy the recliners until he comes. No, we're, we're warriors involved in a spiritual conflict. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the righteousness of God is who you are in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say, I am strong. So you're strong. That's, that needs to be your new identity, that you're strong. Uh, Romans 8.37, you are more than a conqueror. We sang that song this morning on purpose for a reason, because that's who you are. I want you to get that imagery of yourself uh, in your heart and mind, that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians 4.13, able to do all that you need to do through Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's that mean? That, That anything that he needs to do at any given time, he can do it through Christ Jesus. Okay? Um... And then Luke 10, 19. Oh, my goodness, this was a, this was a big one right here. I, I, could do, I could write a book on this one. In fact, many books have been written on this topic. I probably sh- should do a series, honestly, on this particular bullet point coming up right here. Luke 10, 19. Um, you are someone who is operating in the delegated authority of Jesus Christ over all the power of the enemy. Praise God. And then lastly, 2 Timothy 1.7, you are blessed with a spirit of power. That's who you are, ladies. I mean, hey, if you disagree with that, take it up with God. I, I, didn't, I didn't write the Bible. I didn't write this. Okay? I'm just giving you scripture, right? I, everything I've told you this morning is all 100% scriptural. And I left out what wasn't scriptural. I left out that you're just an old sinner saved by grace. That's not in the New Testament. That's a saying that we've coined to make us feel better about when we blow it repeatedly and continually. Seriously. What the Bible says is that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're blessed with the spirit of power. Until you get that identity, you're never going to walk in victory. 
You've got to meditate on these truths. Meditate on the Word of God. I've got the scripture references in your notes. Go take them home and read over these truths and get that new identity of yourself and, and realize you are a person that's armed with the spirit of power. And that's, that's part of the reason why the church is so weak and impotent, by the way, is because we go around saying of ourselves, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. What could I ever do? God tolerates me. I'll get to heaven someday, and then I'll be perfect in the sweet by and by. But until then, I've got to grovel in the dust like a worm. And none of that's true. You are blessed with the spirit of power, and you and me... Luke 10, 19, are operating in the delegated authority of Jesus Christ over all the power of the enemy. So when the enemy comes to you with some stinking temptation, you can just say from Romans chapter 6, I'm dead to that. I'm dead. To, hey, get out of here with that stinking stuff. I'm dead to that. You know, go take that to somebody else who doesn't know who they are in Christ. But I know who I am in Christ. I'm dead to that. So away from me, Satan. Right, just like Jesus did when he, was, when he was being tempted in the wilderness. What did he say to Satan? Away from me, Satan. He took authority over him and kicked him out. Now, now listen, this is my last point. What does the Bible also say of Satan when, when, when Jesus kicked him out? It said that Satan went away from him. And we, right, I heard some of you say it. Uh, that he waited for a more opportune time to come back to him and try his attack again. And he'll do the same thing with you and me. That's why we have to be armed with this stuff all the time. Okay? Stand and pray with me. Donna, would you come and play something? Praise God. Do you feel more armed and equipped this morning? Hallelujah. Uh, Turn her on, guys. Testing, testing. That's why the enemy came up with that concept of we're sinners saved by grace. It's his, it's a, it's his strategy to make us feel weak and poor so we don't have any power. He knew if we know who we are in Christ and we act like it, we're going to have power and we're going to do some things on this earth and he's afraid of that. So right. if the enemy's trying to tell you, you know, as you're, as you're confessing these this week and the enemy's trying to say, Stop saying that. Who, who do you think you are? You tell him who he is and you tell him who you are. So. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I, I feel like I should qualify something. You know, sinners saved by grace. You know, I, I recognize why people say that because we were sinners and we did get saved by grace. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. But that, that old sinner mentality is not who you are anymore. That's what I'm trying to get at. Okay? Is that, we okay? We clear on all that? Okay. Praise God. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.